Good morning, everybody. It was good to be at Living Word last week, but uh, it's better to be home. This is home. Praise the Lord. Adam said we're celebrating our kind of one-year anniversary. We're technically, we didn't launch until uh, till October, so this isn't technically our one-year anniversary, although this would be week number 52 that we've been um, doing services. So this kind of is a one-year anniversary, but not really. So, <laughs> But next week we'll be, we'll be doing some other things as well. We've got a video and some cool things. We also, Jane put together a nice book that is on the... Uh, it's on the table, and so you guys feel free to look through that today, and we'll have that sitting out the next few weeks, and just a celebration and remembrance of what God has done. It is so good for us to just take stock sometimes and consider, God, what, are you, what have you done in my life? What have you done around me? And just remembering God's faithfulness, God's continued love and grace and mercy towards it. Am I really loud? I feel like I'm, is this, is it echoey? Okay. Okay. All right. Let's turn to Psalm 13. How many of you do not have a Psalm workbook? Does anyone here not have a Psalm? Okay. Can we just have, uh, um, Courtney, maybe just grab those Psalm workbooks. If you could just raise your hand, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you definitely don't have one. So just raise your hand if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Or if you do know what I'm talking about, but you don't have one, raise your hand. And we're going to get you a Psalm workbook. These are uh, daily devotionals. We're in a series on the Psalms. And this is, uh, we're a couple weeks into it now, but this is a 10-week series. And so this will help you as you dig more deeply into God's Word throughout the week. It's daily devotionals, and it will unpack some of the things that I was unable to talk about in a limited time we have here this morning. So please use those workbooks. All right. So today we're talking about Psalm 13. Now, we're doing the series on the Psalms. What we're trying to do is cover as many different kinds of Psalms as we can within the 10 weeks so you get a bigger picture of what the Psalms is like. However, for some reason, I don't know who decided like who would get what Psalm to preach on, I get Psalm 13, which is a psalm on like sorrow and lament. And then I get Psalm 83, which is a psalm of calling down judgment on um, your enemies. So I don't know how, I, I don't know what the deal was with that. I don't know who decided that. I definitely was not in that meeting. But um, as I give the new guy the really difficult ones or the ones that are hard, I don't know why I didn't get like Psalm 23 or something like that. I mean, just why don't I get that one, you know? But I do believe. Yet, I do believe in Psalm 13, God has got some things that he wants to communicate to us and instruct us and help us to not only work through sorrow in our own lives, but also to be able to minister and care for people who are dealing with sorrow in their lives. And so God wants to do two things, I believe, for us today. One, minister to us, but then equip us then to minister to other people. Because you know, if you have lived here any amount of years on this earth, that sorrow, you don't have to go and look for hardship or sorrow or suffering. It comes and finds you. And there's people that you know, or maybe even yourself, who have lifelong illnesses. Or you've lost someone that has been very dear to you through death or whatever it may be. 
And it's like we don't have to we don't have to pretend like those things don't exist. They do. And God's word speaks to those things and speaks to us right in the middle of all of it. And so two two questions that we are going to keep coming back to this morning are this. And this is going to kind of be the the groundwork for our series or this message this morning. Two questions that we need to have answered. Number one is this. What am I believing about God right now? So what am I believing about God? And then am I believing rightly about him? Because we're going to see as we, as we talk and as we deal with sorrow and suffering and pain, that these two questions must be answered. Because in answering these, our, the past before us are going to lead us into very different places, depending on how do we answer that. So let's turn now to Psalm 13. I, I, had, I wrote the devotions for this week on Psalm 13 because Crosspoint and Living Word are using the NIV Bible, the nearly inspired version. Um, we are, I, pre, I start off on the NIV. However, the rest of the verses are in the ESV. Just so you know, if you're looking in your Bible thinking, Where, what Bible are you reading from? So... This is Psalm 13 out of the NIV, and we're going to have it on the screen for you guys. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. And my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Let's pray. God, we, we approach your word this morning. And we thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us that even in the midst of suffering and sorrow and despair, God, yet you do not desert us or leave us. You are right there with us in the middle of it. And I pray this morning you would help us to know how to appropriately apply your word to our lives. And Lord, that you would give us your grace to be able to minister and care and love other people right where they're at. So, Lord, I pray that you would just give us understanding in our hearts. Help us to receive your word with faith. And, God, I pray that we would be people who would bring glory to your name with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this psalm is basically divided into three parts. Verses 1 and 2 are an expression of lament and sorrow. Um, verses 3 and 4 would be the expression of prayer. 
And then in verses 5 and 6, we have an expression of hope. So we're going to look now at the expression of lament in verses 1 and 2. And he, he, the psalmist, and they believe David wrote this psalm, the psalmist David asked this question four times. He says, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? It's his question. He keeps asking, How long, O Lord? Four times he asked this question. And this is our experience when we go through deep waters. This is a life-altering um, thing that happens to us. There's a bend in the road, and we do not see what's on the other side. If you've ever driven through Gatlinburg, Tennessee, or somewhere in the mountains where there's all these turns that goes around these mountains, and you, you're taking this turn, and you have no idea what is on the other side of that hill. You have no idea what's around that bend. You're just praying that there isn't a Mack truck coming down your way or someone on a bike or someone running that you're just going to plow into. And all you can really do at that moment is look around to where you're at and hope that on the other side there isn't going to be some huge disaster or calamity. But what the psalmist is talking about is that moment, saying, How long, O Lord? I'm on this road, and sometimes in life the road is, is straight ahead and it's flat like it is in Indiana. And I-65, you know, it's just all farm fields and there's nothing. And there's other times when we're in Gatlinburg and we're driving around the mountains. And so we cannot see what's ahead. And this is when life gets raw. This is a reality check for the psalmist. And what I love about the Word of God is it, it, it talks about all different life situations and circumstances. And so sometimes we can go to church. How you doing? Great. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. God is good. Life is excellent. But the psalmist would have a different response if we asked him that. He'd show up to church. We'd say, how you doing, brother? God good to you? He would say, life is difficult. It is hard right now. I don't know what's going to happen next. Man, my soul is in turmoil. This is a reality check. This is, this is life. This is real life. The mask comes off. The pretense is gone. This is really living. He's not pretending to be something he's not. He's communicating to us from the place where he's at. It's almost like a burn. If you've ever been burned somewhere, man, no matter how gently or delicately you touch that burn, it hurts. It is painful. And what he's saying is no matter what is going on in my life, it is painful. I remember when this is actually two years ago in two days. So my son Nicholas was born and we were in Chicago at this hospital and he is six hours old. And so we're sitting in the hospital room with myself, Michelle, Nicholas is in a little bassinet thing and Michelle's sister and her brother-in-law were all in the room and it's just a... We're just enjoying just having this new baby, and it's healthy. Nicholas is breathing well. He looks great. He's got a full head of hair. He's got a little, like, mohawk going on. We're like, man, life is good. And then Michelle's sister walks over, and she looks in the bassinet, and she says, man, his coloring, his coloring looks different. And he was, he was getting pale. And so we walk over, and we call the nurse, and usually the nurses are pretty... They're in charge. They're in control. They're, they never, they never lose it. I mean, it's pretty much like a, they've seen pretty much everything. So there's nothing that really puts them out. You know, I just kind of okay, yeah, that's great. He's, he'll be fine. 
The nurse comes in, looks, takes one look, immediately calls the nurse's station, grabs the baby, says, Dad, follow me. And she takes off down the hallway, full sprint. And so I am running behind the nurse, full speed down the hallway. And all I can see in front of me is this nurse holding my six-hour-old baby. And at that moment, you, I, I have no idea what the next two minutes of my life is going to be like. So there's a bend in the road in my life. I don't know what's on the other side. And so at that moment, the questions come in. God, do you see what's happening? God, do you know what's going on right now? God, why, why this? Why us? What, what's happening? And all these questions begin to come into place. You can almost see the psalmist sitting at that same place, couldn't you? How long, O oh Lord? Why is this going on? Why do I have this sorrow in my heart? Why is this turmoil? Why are my enemies breathing down my neck? Why is this happening? What's going on? And what I love about this is we're given a picture into the psalmist's prayer life. And so he rightly understands that he ultimately does not have a feelings problem or an enemy problem. He does have those. Those are present, but that's not his ultimate problem. His ultimate problem for the the psalmist is that he feels disoriented from God. There's a disorientation from God. He says, this is my ultimate problem. That's why when he starts the psalm, it's God, how long? Where are you? Would you please look upon me? He understands it is a problem he has because he is disoriented from God. I want to read to you a journal entry by Paul Michaels. He was here a month ago, a month and a half ago, and preached for us. He is my Auntie Donna's fiance, and they're getting married in a couple of weeks. Praise the Lord. But Paul Michaels lost his wife to cancer uh, about a year and a half ago. And this is what he wrote in his journal. And I believe this is what he is expressing through his journal entry is what the psalmist was experiencing and what many of us either have experienced in our life or at one time will. And this is what Paul Michaels writes in his journal entry in March 25, 2009, shortly after the death of his wife. Much sorrow and many tears today. The loss is setting in. Cindy truly was a great wife. None like her in my eyes. And now she is gone I can understand the weight of loss which the widow or widower experiences. No loss is greater, it seems. Companionship gone, conversation silenced, loving and being loved by my great lover extinguished. My best friend lost. All this snatched away, all of a sudden. Even in Cindy's sickness, I knew her sweet presence. Not now. So what do we do? Where do we go with this grief? Let's go back to those questions. What are we believing about God? And are we believing rightly? And because we believe, like the psalmist, that God does see, because we believe that God does hear, because we believe that God is mighty to save, 
because we believe that God is sovereign over all things and he's in control of our lives, we pray because our hope is in God. And now we look at verses three and four. This is the psalmist expression of prayer. So he's just pouring out his heart to God. And now he turns to prayer and he says this, look on me and answer. Oh Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Verse three is just a simple prayer. This is the psalmist. This is a, this is a five second prayer he, th- he offers to the Lord. He's not, he's not waxing eloquently before the Lord. He's not catching up for all the prayers. He hasn't prayed lately. And now is his chance to, to really pour it out. He just simply says this. He asks three things. He says, look, answer and give. That's all he asks. Look, answer and give. His understanding is that the look of God is an indication of God's grace and it renews life. It's an, it's an indication of God's grace. He says, God, I need your grace. In this moment, I need your grace. I need you to look upon me. I need you to, to give me your grace because I cannot live without it. And not only do I want you to look, but I want you to answer. I want to know that you see me. I want to know that you hear me. I want to be reminded of your goodness to me. And not only that, I want you to look, I want you to answer, but I want you to give me something. Simply give light to my eyes. I want to see you. Here is the opportunity for the psalmist to ask for peace of mind, victory over his enemies, personal prosperity, good relationships, called on the fire of God around everyone around him who are ungodly and pagan. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't ask for any of those things. He simply says, I want to see you. In Job 42, verse 5, I believe Job had a, a similar experience. And at the end of the book, after Job has experienced tremendous suffering and the loss of everything, and he's in pain, and his friends have given him bad advice, and the Lord has just straightened his friends and him out. This is what Job says at Job 42, verse 5. I had heard of you. He's talking about the Lord. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. But now my eye sees you. And for Job, this was the turning point. He said, God, I had heard about you, but now my eye sees you. You know what? And at the end, you read on a few verses, Job gets back sevenfold of all his, his stuff that he had. And, and God blesses him abundantly and richly. And it's great. And Job's, you know, the man he's restored. However, I believe for Job, this was it. It wasn't that Job got all his stuff back. And so he said, oh, that suffering was worth it. I got back more than I had before. It was kind of a little bit of a trade-off, but now I'm, I'm better than I was. I believe for Job, this was everything. This was everything to him. He said, I saw the Lord. I saw you, Lord. 
This, we, could, we could just have ended the book here, and I believe he would have said, this was enough. I don't need anything else. I've seen the Lord. I think for some of us, we've, we've heard of the Lord. We have sat through church. We've prayed prayers. We've read the Bible. We've done all those things. But there comes a moment, and it, might, it may be in the midst of suffering. It may not be where we encounter God. And God isn't just something that we've heard about. It is something that we personally have seen the Lord. We've seen him. And that's what is the most important thing for the psalmist. He says, Lord, I want to see you open my eyes, give light to my eyes. Because not only do I want to know that you see me, but Lord, I want to see you. Verse four. In verse four, he, he brings a reminder to himself about God's covenant faithfulness and he gives a desire for God's glory. Now I want to read to you out of Numbers 14 because out of Numbers 14 is is where Moses was with the people of Israel and sure enough, Israel is disobedient to God again. And God comes to a place where he says, I'm just going to wipe all of the Israelites off the face of the earth, except for you, Moses. And we'll start a new nation with you. And we'll kind of do this. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do this thing the way that, that I now want to do this. And Moses says, wait, hold on a second. I want to intercede for Israel. And this is what Moses prays to the Lord. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, how the Lord had wiped out the Israelites. For you brought up this people in your might from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land that they heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man... Then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people, the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. It's an appeal to God's glory. He's making an appeal, says, Lord, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be glorified. I want the nations to see that you are mighty to save and you are able to deliver. And you were able to do the things you said you'd do. And the, Lord answered, the Lord's answer all along, as it was after the, he did this, is the Lord, Lord kindly and graciously brings his people into the promised land. And I think for the psalmist, he's, I think he's thinking about this in his mind, saying, Lord, I want you to triumph. I want your people to be victorious because I don't want any of my enemies to have a a chance to say the Lord was unable to deliver you. The reason you've not made it, the reason you've fallen, the reason you've stumbled is because the Lord is unable to save. And he's saying, Lord, for your glory, would you deliver me? And the psalmist knows, and he wants the whole world to know that God meets us right where we're at, that God has not abandoned his people. So we move from an expression of lament in verses 1 and 2 to an expression of prayer in verses 3 and 4. 
Now we turn to an expression of hope in verses 5 and 6. This is where the turn happens. This is where everything changes. This is where the psalmist goes from, from, from confessing the, the struggles he's having inside and around him and praying to the Lord. Now he gives confession of hope. And with sorrow, it has the opportunity for us to lead us into two different places. It has the opportunity to lead us to despair and despondency or to take refuge in God. And so when we, when we are not believing correctly about God, that God, you do not hear me, you do not see me, you are not with me, it will lead us to despair and despondency. However, like the psalmist, if we believe correctly about God, it will lead us to take refuge in him. I want to just highlight this for us in two, two different psalms. You don't have to turn there, but one is in Psalm 88. And a man by the name of Haman wrote Psalm 88. And in the psalm, he correctly goes to the Lord in prayer. However, he never makes the turn and he just ends in despair. So he pours out his heart to God in sorrow. But look how this, this psalm ends in verse, eight, in verse 18 of chapter 88. He says, You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. And the darkest, the darkness is my closest friend. That's, that's it for him. And the psalm ends. He's, the psalm ends with him sitting alone in the darkness with no hope. However, Psalm 89, Ethan, same thing. Psalm of lament correctly goes to the Lord in the very beginning, confesses his grief But in the end, this is what he says. Verse 52 of Psalm 89. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. How does he end there? He ends with a a proclamation of praise to the Lord. Whereas Haman ends in despair. Well, I believe it goes back to the two questions we talked about in the beginning. What am I believing about God and am I believing rightly? Those, the answer to those questions lead us in two different places. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And because God knows how difficult and raw life can become, I believe he's giving us this psalm as an invitation to come back to him again, to trust in him. This is the invitation for us to say, I want you and I know that you will deal and you will experience sorrow and lament in your life. But I don't want you to be ill-equipped in dealing with it. I want you to be prepared. So when that time comes, you can turn to me as your hope and find refuge in God, that he would be our strong tower. And when there's a bend in the road, as painful as that is at that time, we can know that God has never left us or forsaken us, that we just need to see God because he meets us right where we're at. And even though feelings and circumstances and enemies and sickness and whatever else can possibly persuade us that God is not with us. 
we can make a profession of faith with the anticipation of God's deliverance. Here the psalmist is. He's not looking back saying, thanks, God. He's looking forward with anticipation of God's deliverance. And he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. And my heart rejoices in your salvation. It's the good news that we can trust in God's unfailing love and commitment to us. I want to just read us a quick couple chapters, or I'm sorry, a couple paragraphs out of this book called A Gospel Primer. This is a phenomenal book for devotions. And this is what Milton Vincent writes in talking about resting in Christ. He says this, the gospel encourages me to rest in my righteous standing with God, a standing which Christ himself has accomplished and always maintains for me. I never have to do a moment's labor to gain or maintain my justified status before God. And freed from the burden of such a task, I now can put my energies into enjoying God, pursuing holiness, and ministering God's amazing grace to others. The gospel also reminds me that my righteous standing with God always holds firm regardless of my performance because my standing is based solely on the work of Jesus and not mine. On my worst days of sin and failure, the gospel encourages me with God's unrelenting grace toward me. And on my best days of victory and usefulness, the gospel keeps, keeps me relating to God solely on the basis of Jesus' righteousness and not mine. I wrote this. We can be confident because God's faithfulness and love and care from us is not based on circumstances, the size of the enemy, or even my obedience and faithfulness to him. It is based solely on Christ's perfect obedience to the Father and his substitutionary death for my sins. When we come to God, even though we've, we have been rebellious and disobedient to him, and we put our faith in Jesus Christ and his work and his death on the cross for our sins, God says, I will come and I will call you my own and I will put you in Christ, that we are now known as being in Christ. And when he looks at us, he sees Christ's perfect obedience and righteousness and declares us as righteous. And so my uncle Paul, after the loss of his wife and the devastation and grief and sorrow that followed, how can he have hope? It was all because of Christ. At that moment, my uncle came to see God as his portion and cup and deliverer and strong tower in the midst of the pain because God was with him. And this is the truth of who, to who God is and the reason that we can have hope. At the end of the psalm in verse 6, the psalmist writes this, I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. What a different place the psalm ends from where it began. How long, O oh Lord, I'm being tormented in my soul to saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. It's two different places. Because I believe as he began to reflect 
on who God is and begin to believe rightly about God, it changes everything. And now we can seek refuge in a God who sees us and knows us and loves us because of Christ Jesus. And in that we can have hope. So a psalm is important for a number of reasons. I believe it helps us to communicate to God in the midst of grief and sorrow in our own lives. It's not wrong to come before the Lord, say, God, there is some things inside of me that are going all over the place. God, I feel like my enemies are breathing down my neck, communicating truthfully to God with what's going on inside of us. That's appropriate. But it also does this. It helps us to minister to people who are going through the same things as the psalmist was. It helps us. God not only wants to minister to us, but he wants to use us to minister to other people. And all of us know people in our life, either now or in the past or soon in the future, who will be experiencing major life setbacks and bends in the road. And we are able, by the grace of God, to point them towards Jesus and towards the Lord. Say, let's believe rightly about God, because I want you to seek refuge in him and not go down the road of despair and sorrow and suffering. I want you to know Jesus. We're going to take communion but I would like for us to just take a moment and reflect on the things that God has done in our lives, the way God has ministered to us. You may be sitting here today. This is new to you. You haven't necessarily thought of God as being near or God being with us. I would just encourage you. We can talk afterwards. We can, Larry will talk to you. Adam will talk to you about how we can know God this way. You may say, man, I don't know God that way. That's not been my experience. The road of sorrow or lament in my life has led me to despair or have led my family members to despair, my friends. I want to know God that way. We can pray together. We'll tell you about the Lord. He has been good. But for those who have committed themselves to Christ, we're going to take time to celebrate communion. Communion for us is a reminder that God is with us, that he gave himself for us, that it's a continual reminder as we continue to take communion week after week after week, that God has made himself available to us all the time. Every day, God has made himself available to us. Let's pray. Lord, we want to take a moment and just reflect on how you have been there for us. Thank you, Lord, that you've never left us or forsaken us. Thank you that you know us, that you meet us right where we're at. And Lord, I pray that as you as you minister and care for us, God, that you would help us to be able to love and care, 
point people back towards you again. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to celebrate your death and resurrection for us. In Jesus' name, amen.